Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Today's program was brought to you by Whole Foods Market. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Hello. Welcome to Chef's Story. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And this is the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. And Chef's Story is brought to you every Wednesday at noon live. And today I'm sitting here with a very lively chef. And if he's not a household name to you now, he will be. I'm sitting here with Dan Kluger of ABC Kitchen. And why I say maybe some people don't know you, Dan, is because I understand over 200 countries tune in to Heritage Radio wow. Network and over a million listeners. Excellent. So there could be a few people that might not have heard of you because you're so young. I can't believe all the accolades that have piled up. If Dan, if ABC Kitchen, of course, is here in, in Manhattan, um, and that uh, the New York Times is given its stars, but it was named the best new restaurant in December 2010 by New York Magazine. Uh, Dan Kluger was named Chef of the Year in 2011 by Time Out New York. Uh, the James Beard Foundation, of course, he racked one of those up as best new restaurant in 2011. And in 2012, he was picked as one of the best new chefs by Food & Wine magazine. He's extraordinary. So you've got to go to ABC Kitchen, but we're going we're gonna to delve into it. And hopefully after this um, program, you're going to just call up. And if you can't get a reservation, just drop my name. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell him Dan sent you. Anyway, so Dan. Where did you grow up? I grew up on the Upper West Side, New York City. Oh, you're a New York City boy. How Born does someone? Raised. How does some? How does a kid grow up on the Upper West Side? I mean, what did, did you? You didn't have a uh, backyard, or, or we did didn't have you? a backyard, but we lived in a large complex. So we actually had there's like four or five buildings, and so we had a huge playground that you know was uh, gated off, and, and it was basically for the tenants. So in a lot of respects, I grew up in this small little community within a huge community of the Upper West Side. So what were your food experiences on the, you know, Upper West Side's full of great little ethnic restaurants, good restaurants. What does a kid eat on the Upper West Side? Pizza and Chinese food. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, good pizza, I hope. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I grew up um, in a family where we, we certainly ate a lot, we cooked a lot, um, we weren't necessarily... Um, you know, foodies, as you hear all the time today. Mm -hmm. uh, we weren't going out to eat a lot, but, uh, you know, cooking and sitting around at the table was a, was a big part of growing up so, and, and childhood. <clears throat> Did you cook when you were a kid? A little bit. I mean, I, I nothing nothing that uh, gave me an inkling that this is what I would do with my life. But, um, you know, I enjoyed uh, baking or, or sort of being in the kitchen with my parents and doing something. Okay, uh, so you weren't this child protege and with no. your grandmother's, you know, kitchen. No. no. So, so tell me, so when, when did this food bug bite you? How did it happen? Was it by chance? It was totally by chance. Really? Um, I went to Syracuse, and um, I thought I was going to do 
physical therapy or something along the lines Syracuse of Syracuse University. U- University, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, in this roundabout way, I got into some food studies and some nutrition, and, and that led to some restaurant management classes, and I was... Uh, scared to death of of the professors and I wait, felt wait, like wait 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 so you went into food studies what year was this uh 92 92 so what did you think you were going to study was it anthropological was it political what, what what made you attracted to food studies basically i was planning to do graduate program for um physical therapy so in, our, in order to get there i needed a degree that would give me anatomy and physiology, some nutrition, some biology, things like that. And uh-huh. so that's why I kind of started in this world of nutrition uh-huh. and, uh, and food studies. And, and that was combined at, at that point in time with restaurant management classes and food service classes. And it was mm. not a culinary school by any means, but mm. um, you know, there, was, there was enough there that somebody walking out of that school with a degree in, in you know, food service management knew a little bit about what went on in a kitchen and um, I just kind of caught this bug. I was I was kind of interested in it. I thought it was it was enticing, not from a cooking perspective, but from this restaurant perspective. And and uh, again, sort of in a roundabout way, I met Danny Meyer. Oh my gosh! Yeah. I mean, well, th- that's amazing. And we're interested in the food. And you're such a killer cook. You <laughs> really are. Alan Sayak was one of the deans at the International <laughs> Culinary Center. You're his favorite restaurant at the moment. Your food. That's I mean, good. you're you're just like hitting it out of the park. Anyway, so so how did you meet Danny Meyer? So there was uh, this amazing guy, Leon Jeanette. Um, his children went to Syracuse. He um, created an auditorium and a lecture series after his first wife had passed away. And he brought up um, everybody from Danny Meyer to Charlie Palmer to David Boulay to Tommy Hilfiger. Um, the, wow, I wouldn't put all those people in. It, it was basically retail and, and oh, food. Oh, it was retail and food, okay. And uh, it, just strangely enough, I was talking to Tommy Hilfiger last night. Uh, he was in with a friend of mine from J. Crew, mm. and I said, you know, hey, I met you back in the day with Leon Jeanette. My friend was like, Leon Jeanette worked for me. <laughs> this was Mickey Drexler from J. Crew. He's like, oh Le- Leon worked for me years ago. And so they knew each other really well. And so um, I basically became very close with Leon and Leon introduced me to Danny when he came up and mm. gave me the opportunity to kind of sit and talk to him and I did an internship in uh, I think 94 or 95 with Danny and it was mainly in the front of the house um, where which which at Union Square Cafe oh Union Square and uh, it was you know eye opening I'd never seen anything like this I'd never experienced anything like this well, what do you mean eye opening I mean you've eaten in restaurants you were studying restaurant management I think people out there don't understand yeah. the real world so what was eye opening about it for you I think again I, I didn't grow up uh, going out to eat a lot I think probably by the time that I had stepped into Union Square Cafe on my first day we had probably, as a family, gone out maybe a dozen times to something other than Chinese food or, you know, of that nature. Um, and through college, I went a, a few meals here and there. But I, I'd never really seen this high level of execution of food and service. And so to be in a place like Union Square that was incredibly busy um, with these amazing people working there. I mean, some of my dearest friends are, are um, through that experience. Um but what's the secret sauce? Everybody's saying, "What's Danny's secret sauce?" Can you sh- can you shed it here? Come on, share, share. You know, I, I don't think there's a a secret sauce to share as much as um, this. This was at a time when Danny was in the restaurant every day. 
Hmm. Paul Bowles Bevan, who is his managing partner and partner today, was in the restaurant every single day. And, you know, there, there really was a strong effort to create this family environment without it ever being forced. It was just there. It mm-hmm. didn't need to be written in a manual. It was just there. Caring. And it, it was a lot about caring. And, and I mean... To this day, I still think there's a big part of hiring the right people. And, and at that point in time, with you know one restaurant, maybe two at that point, hiring the right people was a lot easier uh, than I think it is today for anybody. I think mm-hmm. today we feel very uh, overwhelmed with hiring. I mean, it's the mm. biggest, biggest crutch of our industry. Mm. Um, How many people work for you? I have 45 in the kitchen, and I think we have about 150, 160 in the front of the house. Wow. Uh, not we're going to jump time. to okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, how many covers do you do a day? Um, we do about eight hundred during the week, and about nine hundred to a thousand on the weekends. A day. Yeah. Wow. It's a busy restaurant. It's a one doesn't get that, uh, you know, when one doesn't realize. But let's get we'll get down yeah. to the restaurant uh, a little down the road. So, so you met Danny. You work in front of house. What? How did you wind up in the kitchen? So basically, after I graduated from college, I went back to work at Union Square, and it really was kind of um, supposed to be part time. It was it was they needed a little bit of help. They were short a host. We had been talking, and I said, "Sure, I'll help out." And um, I was enjoying being in the front of the house. I always kind of thought, it, or at that point in time, I was thinking, at some point, I'm own a restaurant. This is great. Any experience is going to be great. And you know what? If I could get a little time in the kitchen just to just to see what's going on, that'll help too. So I started spending my days off in the kitchen just to just to see what life was like. And I mean, again, you talk about a busy restaurant and some little kids standing in the corner straight out of college. Like it was it was eye opening. I just I didn't, I didn't speak a word of Spanish. I didn't know what was going on around me. Um, and, and you know, I started as a cook. They offered me a job as a cook, and I was a prep cook. And uh, I was peeling potatoes and cutting and frying calamari. And again, the, the prep crew at that point in time were pretty much all Spanish-speaking. So it was really sort of culture shock. Um, and as hard as that was, it just it kind of like the bug was there. It just was exciting to go back to work each was day. Was it tactile? Was it sensory in your mouth taste-wise? Had you tasted food? Uh, of course, you ate the food there, but did it make you look at food a different way? Did it make you taste food a different way? What without, was it? That without was a so doubt, compelling? all of us. I mean, uh, again, you know, um, I, I, I grew up working in a bakery on the summers, and, and so being in food service wasn't completely new, but being in a restaurant at that point in time, there were, you know, three... Uh, probably 500 covers a day, 600 covers a day. So to see cases and cases of potatoes and to peel cases and cases of potatoes and things like that was all of a sudden like boring, but at the same time like a rush. It was kind of interesting. Um, and so then to start tasting food and, and you know, Michael Romano's palate was amazing. And this, he you was know, the head chef then. He, yeah, he was. And, um, you know, this, this real um, Italian... American cooking, mm. um, you know, there's some Asian influence and stuff, but all of a sudden I was, I was experiencing things that were really new to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, like what? Do you remember? Just, just, I mean, any of the Italian things I hadn't, I think I grew up in, you know, the most Italian I, I knew was like meatballs and spaghetti. Yeah. Um, and so all of a sudden, you know, I heard, I start hearing him talk about Puglia and, uh, you know, uh, all sorts of other regions. It's like, what, what is he talking about? And so to go home and start reading and 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 learning about these things on my own time was was really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that really just 
kind so of. So, how long were you in his kitchen? I was there for about three years. So they're famous uh, for going to the Union Square Market, mm-hmm. and so would you do that in the morning and see what happened? Did you did you ever go on those trips with I, him? I never went on those trips, but I think that's what started the sort of local food bug for me mm-hmm. um, was I remember talking to him one day and, and um, at that point in time actually I was uh, working as a host and so I would go every morning to get the specials from him and mm-hmm. um, writing down the specials and he says ramps I said what are ramps and he mm-hmm. tells me and then there's something else in there I don't know if it's fiddlehead ferns or something I was like what's that and so then all of a sudden I said like, what you know these are things that I've never heard of this mm-hmm. is really interesting mm-hmm. so from that point on I started walking through the market every day that mm-hmm. it was open and I started to see these things, and and I started to you know cook on my days off with these things. Hmm. Um, but then you went, you it's it's like you went to the Danny Meyer School of Alumni Chefs. <laughs> you you worked for Colicchio, you worked for Michael Anthony, I think. Did uh, you work? No, for, I no, didn't work, I no, you didn't work for my. Who? So you worked with Floyd. So Card- I worked for Floyd Cardoz. Who'd you work for first, Colicchio or no Floyd? So Floyd. basically, oh, I met so tell me what happened. That's a going to Indian yeah. spices. What? Why did you go there? you know how he was uh, he was working at a Union Square Cafe probably for about a year and a half while they were working on opening Tabla and um, you know, he was doing all of his recipe development and just kind of being part of the kitchen getting getting involved in the, the Danny environment so to, so to speak and um, he and I hit it off and when he was ready to open Tabla he said you know come come work for me and at that point in time I had done a full three years at Union Square so it was definitely a, a good time to move on and so I started with Floyd as a, as a line cook and Worked my way up, and um, I was there for seven years, and I was his uh, chef de cuisine by the time I left. Wow, because that's a very definitive style, Indian, but very personal to yeah. Floyd. Um, wh- how how much of it was Floyd? You're the chef de cuisine, and you have to have the passion mm-hmm. for the food and your the, and the taste. How did you work and collaborate with F- Floyd on that? I think af- after spending. I don't know, a good three, four years. I, I never necessarily picked up the overall culture because there's so much culture there. Mm-hmm. But I picked up this flavor profile. Mm-hmm. I picked up um, the cooking techniques, which, uh, you know, I think he, he really, he talks about today learning from great Kuntz and, and that development of using those techniques. And I feel like today that's, those are techniques I use you know, no matter what I'm doing. And it was just a matter of applying spices or not applying spices. Um, so I, I think I, I started to pick up the flavor profile. I enjoyed the spices. I enjoyed um, the food that he produced. And so from there, I was able to start to do my own adaptations and, and start to put things on the menu. And then um, the, other, the other sort of inspiration for a lot of the food for me that I presented to him was uh, his wife and his mother. Um, we would start talking. I'd go to their house you know, for a picnic, or she'd be in the restaurant, or he'd just come in one day. He's like, oh, my mom made this the other night. You know, She's in town, and she made this doll. I'm like, that sounds pretty good. Mm. So I'd like take some notes, and I'd go look something up, and you know, an hour later, I'd put something in front of me. He's like, yeah, almost as good as mom's. <laughs> And, uh, you know, from there, a, a lot of things came lot, into play as well. A lot of things. Okay, well, we're going to have to take a break right now, but we're going to come back, and I'm going to follow up on that technique <laughs> and spices. So. Okay.
Foods Market, we believe in healthy snacking, eating our veggies, and supporting local. Check out Brad's Raw Chips, a local producer that created irresistible chips after their namesake's successful weight loss with a raw lifestyle. Their chips are gluten-free, nutrient-packed, and so good that you'll think you're indulging. For more information, visit bradsrawchips.com. Well, welcome back. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. And this is Chef's Story. And I'm talking to the dynamic, interesting Dan Kluger, chef from uh, ABC Kitchen in New York City. And we just uh, kind of did a memory lane talking about his, his past. And he was talking when he was working with Floyd Cardoz at uh, Tabla that he was using some techniques and learning techniques there and uh, being turned on to spices that he hadn't experienced before. Dan, I want to ask you something about techniques. I think a lot of people, they cook from recipes and, you know, they they know how to, you know, saute or, you know, grill or something like that. But how important is technique to you? When you said you learned these techniques, you were already an accomplished cook for four years. What what more could you have learned? What is technique? I mean, there's a lot of different parts of that, that, you know, word technique in terms of cooking. And I think... Part of them is, you know, uh, how to braise, how to roast, how to saute, um, you know, how to, how to poach. And and all of those things, I think, as you grow as a cook, as a chef, you become better at, you master, um, you become more fluent, so to speak, um, and you essentially create a, bre- a better product. I mean, you think about the difference between a home cook reading a recipe and a professional a professional chef doing the same recipe they have the same ingredients they have the same information it's maybe a little bit of technique like knowing when something's done um you know you using all your senses i mean i remember um working at tabla in the in the beginning and learning um just different ways of making stocks and and braises and it was such a sensory thing because um the the way the kitchen was set up it was fairly large and uh as a meat cook I would have four or five projects going at once, and I had to use all of my senses. One was listening to the meat searing, mm. smelling the bones roasting, mm. and basically running around the kitchen from one end to another, just using those two senses alone, knowing, okay, I can hear it starting to dry up. It's almost ready to be flipped. The bones smell like they're they're almost there, going and checking them, hearing the way they're sizzling, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I think that's part of the technique. And then I think, you know, technique also for me is is somewhat the cooking style. And, and um, you know, when I met Jean-Georges and I first did the tasting for him, and then when, you know, I basically came on board, I felt like it was it was a very good matchup technique wise and, and I use that word more in terms of flavor profiles um, we're very similar in terms of sweet sour spicy salty crunchy you know textures um, that was something I got a lot from Floyd in terms of these these balance of textures and flavors and and you know making somebody um, eat something that's a little bit salty and then balancing it out with something that's a little sweet and then all of a sudden they get a little acid and and our food today I mean everybody talks about the food at ABC and how how much they like it and I think even for people who don't love 
chilies all of a sudden they're eating something and they get this little pop of spice and then you know it's cooled down with like some herbs like mint and then they get a little acid and the sort of ups and downs the peaks and valleys in the food i think create really exciting food Mm. um and and so something so simple as you know roasted beets or something so simple as corn and the little twist that we do on them is what makes the food so exciting and so i think again that the techniques of how to apply these different balances of flavors and then the cooking methods that's so you, you opened a door there for me you said oh when i had to sort of audition for mm-hmm. jean georges tell me what what do you have to do to work for jean georges and how did that come about and what was the audition like you know it wasn't it i, I lucked out um they're they're really great in terms of having a real process when they when they interview and um, check out a chef and they come in and, and, and the chef does uh, one of his own recipes and one of their recipes and um, luckily I didn't know all about that I probably wouldn't have gone any further had I known because I think that would have been so nerve wracking <laughs> um, I met Jean-Georges in, in probably the most um, amazing way for my story and where we are um, I was shopping at the market I was working uh, as a private, uh, I was working as a chef at a private club in Midtown called the Core Club, um, and it was something that Tom Colicchio had been consulting on. And so through Floyd, I met Tom. I started work for Tom. I spent a little time at Gramercy and Craft, and um, and then I opened this private club. And we were shopping at the farmers market, and it was a small a small club, small volume, but I was shopping a lot. Like I, I went down. It was on Fifty Fifth Street. I went with one of my guys. We spent a ton of money. We took two cabs, packed to the brim, back. So. You know, I wasn't just getting a small amount. It was kind of obvious that that this was important to me. And I was at one of the farmer stands, uh, Franca from Buried Treasures, and um, picking up a bunch of bags of stuff and moving them over towards the cab. And I think she must have said something, and he kind of looked at me, and then I looked at him, and I was like, you know, sort of flabbergasted, this is (laughs) Jean-Georges. And, uh, you know, I'd eaten there a couple times. I'd met him, but not not in this nature. And then I think she kind of introduced us, and we started talking, and he said, what are you up to? And I, I told him, and I know his business partner, um, Phil Suarez, through the core club, and I asked about him. And so we, you know, within a minute, we kind of developed a little rapport, and um, he said, you know, come, come talk to us. And the next day, I sent him an email, and, and we met up, I think, two days later, and uh, within a couple of weeks, I was, I was ready to go. And I lucked out because... I basically was able to get them to come in to lunch at the core club, and I did a huge tasting menu for them. Mm. Um, oh, so that that's how you auditioned. That I, was that I thought you were in his home kitchen, you know. No, that's why I say, like, I, I lucked out. Had I had to go to, you know, Jean-Georges, the, the flagship restaurant, and produce one of their recipes, I may not be here today. So um, I, I really lucked out. And, 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 you know, the great thing was I was able to um, do what I do in the setting that I was working in and, you know, um, at that point in time. You had home court advantage. I, I had home court advantage for sure. And, you know, I, mm. I think that being a chef is more than just producing the food. I think it's the full picture of, of you know, helping with the overall experience. And I think that's something that he, he's very much involved with as well. And so... What do you mean by that? I, I, you know, I think it's it's how the food is delivered, what, what goes on in the front of the house. And I don't think it's a... Um, Front of house, back of house. uh, Yeah, I I don't think there's an ego thing. Like I need to be involved in everything. It's just I think it's it's important that the the whole experience comes together. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think you know working with the front of the house staff and. Um, well, talk about collaboration. You've worked with, you know, Floyd, and you were the chef de cuisine. Which, for people out there, that means you're the real operating chef, getting the food out every day and, mm-hmm. the, and the plates. And uh, and then you work with Jean Georges. And people might say, ABC Kitchen, oh, isn't that a Jean Georges restaurant? 
but it's really a Dan Kluger restaurant. How do you work with these chefs and be the the chef of the restaurant? Is it their ideas for a menu? Is it both of you? Do you collaborate? Um, whose touches in the food? How does that work? Because you seem to be an incredibly collaborative chef, but w- once again, you've been singled out by all those publications I talked about at the top of the program for your excellence. How do you do it? How does that work? You know, I think one one thing is you know what you're signing up for. Um, you know, the, the, the ego has to stay at home in that respect. I mean, when I worked for Floyd, I worked my way up, so... The, I mean, to this day, he's still one of my best friends. So the the collaboration in that respect was very easy. There was never an ego of like, well, you know, this this is mine. I, I don't want to change it. You know, I would make something. I'd say, what do you think? And and you know, there was either a great good to go or there was you know a slight adjustment um, for whatever reason. And and I think that always made it better. So when I went to Jean George. Um, you know, I'd been working for about four or five years doing my own thing. And, and, you know, again, it was a little bit of a step back of, you know, a collaboration. But I looked at it, and I still do, as that guy's incredibly successful. He's a successful restaurateur, successful chef, amazing palate, uh, amazing ideas. So a- anything that, that I bring to him and that we tweak, it's got to be making it better. Hmm. And so... I learn from that and I take away from that. And I think all of that, you know, has made me grow in terms of how I present food to him, how I, how I, you know, present food to myself, the, the things that I make for myself. And then, um, you know, how I will eventually work in that scenario with somebody else when I have a, a chef cuisine. So or, you know or, how to be a mentor. I, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. So, um, wh- along the way, we're gonna we're gonna move on to your personal philosophies in a minute. But uh, along the way, who were you say your top three influences were, um, and and mentors, and what were or what were the most important elements in shaping you as a chef? Maybe there weren't people, uh, but what were the elements? Three elements that really shaped you as a chef. I think. Union Square Cafe as as a whole between Danny Paul and the whole crew there um, that that are you know still friends to this day I think that that started me that taught me this you know Danny enlightened hospitality thing that again it's it's not just being a chef I think it's you know it's very easy to to um, go into work and and you know be frustrated that something's not coming out right or or you know sort of just think that this is just a, a scenario of people putting out food and, and serving it and we're done. There's much more than that. And, and you know, even at the hardest of times and, and the most frustrating of situations, I still care deeply about the people that work for me and, and I, I want to see them grow. The reality is it's a business and, and you know, things have to move on. But um, I really got a lot of, you know, caring for my coworkers, caring for the people that come in to eat. And I got that from my start at Union Square Cafe. Um, I think Floyd Cardoz, without a doubt, and just my time at Tabla, I mean, Tabla, you know, unfortunately, is closed today, but it was always the, the little engine that could. It, it had this, this culture and soul that um, sort of I've never seen before. I mean, the, the people that came through there, uh, just an amazing group of people, and, and I think a lot of that came from Floyd and his leadership and, and the other people that um, were managers there. And, um, so that that was a big part of shaping me in, in terms of, again, a, a manager and a, a chef. The food, the technique, the spices, 
the balance of flavors. Floyd was a big shopper at the farmer's market, or Tabla was, I'd say. Can I just tell people that Floyd is going to be on on May 30th? I'm, on I'm excited to tune into yeah, that. So you've given me a lot of, uh, for, you know, a lot of good stuff here to talk to him I'll about. I'll have to see if he says as nice things about me as I'm <laughs> saying about him. <laughs> um, but that, that, you know, definitely helped shape me as a chef. And then I think um, doing this private club and, and being in a place where... Um, it was a very different clientele, uh, but I, I was allowed to do the food that I wanted to do. So, for the most part. Were, other than people, were there other things that self-discipline? Um, you know, other things that shaped you that you think it takes. What's the stuff that a chef needs to be? What's the difference between a cook? A lot. Of, I know a lot of chefs or, co- or cooks, let's say, in restaurants who say, "I, c- I don't want to be a chef. It's too much responsibility. Mm-hmm. I don't even want to be a sous chef. It's too much responsibility." Yeah. What is the stuff that propels you to be a chef? Again, I think there's, uh, it's you know, somewhat a personality thing. Like you, there's nothing better than being in the thick of it on a you know Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, whatever night it is, and you know, really being busy, but being able to put up a piece of food and be like, wow, that, that looks good. That's perfectly cooked. That tastes right. I, I, I find that very exciting to this day. I find that exciting. I found it exciting when I first started. I'm, you know, working at Union Square and putting up a great bowl of pasta. It was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. So you have to be excited by that for sure. And I think the self-discipline is a big part of it too. A lot of cooks come in and, you know, oh, when do I move up? When do I do? A lot of it comes down to you. People talk about culinary school. A lot of it comes down to you as, as the student. You can come in. You can just get you know your A or your B or whatever it is and be done. Uh, same thing in college. I was a, a horrible student. And when I found what I liked, my self-discipline propelled me to being an A student. Um, when, when I now decided that I wanted to cook, I, I spent every off minute that I had at Barnes and Nobles picking up books starting to read starting to learn more about food um, you know uh, just just always applying myself in some form or another and today it's even easier I mean with the internet it's it's non-stop I mean you you just you so know. what what inspires you to how do you have time I know you're married you have kids <laughs> you know you've got this 800 person a day uh, and you have to keep your everybody happy you're sort of the the main force at the the restaurant. How do, what inspires you? How do you get in? You know, how do you keep yourself creative? You know, I think in, in inspiration in terms of going to work and and um, being a chef. I think that inspiration is one thing, and that's um, somewhat a immediate gratitude of of seeing somebody happy when they when they dine at ABC or, or mm-hmm. when they eat at my house, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the the creative and and that part of it is really. Um, everything from, again, I mean, the, between social media and everything, there's, there's, in five minutes you can come up with ten new ideas just from little flashes on on the web of mm-hmm. some dish or you know looking in a magazine. So it's it's everywhere in terms of that. And I mm-hmm. think for me it's very much locally based um, in, in terms of going through the farmers market and, and picking up you know three or four ingredients and having this tactile thing where all of a sudden you're, you're touching peaches and tomatoes and, and sunflower sprouts are in front of you and all of a sudden you know, that became a new dish last year and and I think to me that's one of the most exciting things and again one of the most rewarding things like you have to enjoy making a dish and then being able to put it out and look at it and say like this is this is right this all is what I want we're gonna we're gonna break in a couple of minutes and we're gonna go to uh, you are probably one of the most exciting um, 
local, sustainable green chefs working today. And I want to delve into that. But uh, here's a quick question for ABC Kitchen. You're talking about being inspired by seeing the produce. You know, you're running a restaurant in a furniture store. <laughs> and, and you know, it isn't, uh, ABC is just amazing. It's not your typical furniture store. It's very funky, and it's an extraordinary room that yeah. you eat in. Um, how much are you inspired by the decor? What, is it, what does that do? I mean, how, how do you vision that? When they said to you, we're going to put you in a furniture store, what was your reaction, and what are the pros and cons of that? You know, I think... Uh, it wasn't like we had this concept and, and then we found the space. There was very much, you know, Phil Suarez had this space and uh, there was a concept that they wanted to do for a long time. And again, my, my meeting Jean-Georges at the farmer's market is really just kind of, it was kismet. It, it put me in a situation where uh, he kind of one day said, I think this is the right project for you. Um, but I think that, you know, the store and, and Paulette Cole, the, the owner of uh, ABC Home, her her vision, her passion, her excitement for for sort of sustainable and green and and you know sort of also saving the world. Also, it was beyond you know just having here. I have a space in the store, but she really believed in the philosophy. They're they're very much you know um, sort of um, how, how do we make the world a better place? Um, how do we how do we live a little more sustainably? Um, oh, so it was a we, and I, I want to remind people that New York Magazine called this the best new restaurant in New York City in <laughs> 2010, and the James Beard Foundation called it the best new restaurant in 2011. So maybe people should just start considering these <laughs> <laughs> these other alternative paths. Okay, well, we're going to take another break. I'm speaking to Dan Kluger, the chef of ABC Kitchen, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Chef's Story with Dorothy Can Hamilton of the International Culinary Center in New York. It used to be the French Culinary Institute. We're on heritageradionetwork.org, and I am talking to the fascinating chef, Dan Kluger of ABC Kitchen in uh, New York City. And we've been talking uh, influences past, but Dan is probably one of the foremost chefs working today with sustainable local philosophy, uh, but also very green philosophy, and down to lots of business decisions that they make in that restaurant. Um, you know, Dan, a, a lot of every, every restaurant now that you know, wants to be taken seriously talks about we source locally, we work with farmers. Uh, what does that mean? Because I think that's really expensive and unless you're doing a great business, the cost of that can put you under. What is what is the real cost of being local, sustainable, buying from farmers, and how hard is it to do properly? I mean, it's without a doubt more expensive. 
um, I was talking to somebody the other day about onions. I think, you know, a bag of onions from a normal purveyor is, you know, let's say $20. And if you got it through the market, it's going to be like 60 so th- there's a huge increase. So wait, so if you buy it like just from the distributor that mm-hmm. sells to restaurants, it's twenty dollars. But if you use the small farmer, it's sixty. It so it's triple the cost. What about an organic egg? How is that different from a regular egg? Um, again, I'd say about double to triple. It depends on on things, lemons, limes, all these things. I mean, so do you have to be an expensive restaurant to be local and organic? And how do you how do you? Because I know that you are a good business chef as well as a, a chef. You're very responsible. How does this work? You know, I, again, I think it's it's an overall model. Um, I think you know one one of the things is we are incredibly busy, which. It doesn't necessarily correlate in in this um, way that you know just because we're busy we're able to do these things, but um, because we are busy we we're able to use up um, product and it never goes bad. Um, You're talking waste. So, yeah, yeah. Th- th- there's very little waste in that respect, and um, you know I think uh, because it, you buy volume, do you get a not really, no? not really. I mean, you know the the farmers. Um, they can sell most of their their produce at the farmers market without us, so mm. um, they they don't really give a huge discount. Um, you know, if if you buy four crates of asparagus, you might make a, a small savings. But mm. I think in general, it's definitely it's a more expensive model. Um, we I, I feel like the portions are fairly generous. We definitely made a, a mindset on our end, just in, in terms of a sort of healthier eating, um, to not do. Um, huge protein portions and to concentrate more on the vegetables. So mm. we have proteins, um, but you know, even a piece of fish is going to be a slightly smaller piece of fish than you might find in another restaurant, but more vegetables because we, mm. we want to focus on the vegetables. Mm. So that's one part of it. Um, and you know, proteins are without a doubt expensive. Forget mm. the, the whole... So what's an average size? Is it in a, in a restaurant maybe eight ounces for a piece of fish? And... I'd say six to seven ounces is probably a normal mm-hmm. fish portion. Again, it depends on the restaurant. Sure. Um, but I'd say at least six ounces on average and, and we typically go about four and a half to five ounces depending on what it is so and that's more than enough for a human being in a, I, I, you know i find you know I, I had a piece of bass yesterday and i feel like by the time i was done with all the vegetables i had i had a full meal and i was as mm. happy as can be so mm. um and he's a big guy I, i'm sitting here <laughs> looking at him <laughs> um so i think you know that that's one part of it um you know, we've made a lot of other conscious decisions in terms of the paper we use and the, the inks we use and the candles and these sort of things. But, you know, I, I try not to. I get a little nervous when, when everybody starts talking about uh, the green and the sustainable and all these things. I think uh, we've made conscious decisions. Um, there are a lot of other restaurants doing these things. Um, some are doing them even better. Uh, I think we just try and be conscious to our community. We try and be conscious to our environment. Um, you know, we try but and tell, do the- tell us what that means. I, I was really fascinated by, I did some reading about how, what levels you take this to in your kitchen and what kind of candles you buy and how, how much is recycled. Can you go into that a well, little I mean, bit? We, we recycle everything. We compost everything. Um, one of the things that we we're working on now, which I think is really cool, which ABC, uh, home has been working on developing is, um, the the waste oil that gets picked up. I mean, most restaurants do this. Um, so we, this is the oil that you would have fried in and exactly. stuff like that. I mean, pretty much everybody does this. But right. one of the things that, again, we try and do, we try and close the loop on certain things. And this is something we've done where the company that picks it up is now basically turning into biodiesel for the ABC home trucks 
from oh, one wow. of their warehouses. Cool. Okay. So again, you know, the, the closed the close cycle, the closed loop is, is an exciting part of what we do. But again, I mean, you know, for me, I, I, all the accolades, all the stuff, like it's, it's great, but we just set out to create a restaurant with good food. I just, <laughs> I go in to cook each day. Um, and so I tell think, me your favorite dish of the week. I think people are out there going, this guy is fascinating. What's the food taste like? So tell us about a dish you're doing this week that you're inspired by, and what are the, what's the flavor profile, what's the technique profile? Um, it's funny, I can't think of anything right now. Okay, so I, have, I, I do have a menu you here. You have a menu. I do, and I'm going to, if I can just uh, leave through my stuff, I, I think uh, you, there's a carrot dish on here yep. that sounds fascinating. It's called Roast Carrot and Avocado Salad, Crunchy Seeds, Sour Cream, and Citrus. I want it right now. <laughs> Tell me about that dish. So this, this was one of the first dishes that... Um, I remember doing Jean George, and and I think it was again very exciting because it 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 has some it has cumin, it has chilies, it has vinegar, it has the sweetness of the the carrots. And I started to taste these things, and it just reminded me a little bit of tabla. Mm. And it was like you know sort of eye opening in terms of okay, this is going to be a really good match. Like we're we're cooking a lot of the same things. Um, so basically, it's a you know spice rubbed carrot, so to speak, roasted, and then we have avocado. So you have creamy carrots creamy avocado and then we buy these sprouts from the farmer's market that are a little crunchy and and uh you know different flavors in terms of radish sprouts so some bitterness and then crunchy seeds like sunflower and sesame so it's it's sounding to me that it isn't just the seasoning but the texture that Mm -hmm. you're very involved with Mm -hmm. so do you like crunchy it sounds like crunchy i'm a crunchy person i I love crunchy i love like soft and crunchy right like mixing the two together so when you're conceiving is the texture what what pops first in your mind it always depends it really it's it's you know we try and do we try and be very product driven i try and go and find something um that that i like and start developing something based on that and so i mean it it, you know right now we're talking about strawberries coming in so now we'll start looking at strawberries and what are we going to do with those and i was you know playing with something the other day and and things just kind of come along there's a little bit of of like pulling from memory a little bit of pulling from things that i know go well together something that uh, you know i just happened to like walk into the walk-in and literally like something was right in front of me and, and that became part of the dish you know it's yeah, okay so here's another thing yeah oh you're gonna want to run there roast suckling pig <laughs> but get this plum smoked bacon marmalade with braised turnips tell me about the plum smoked bacon marmalade so that was something we were doing actually in the summer where um i I, you know i jokingly said to somebody that we don't do a lot of meat we do a lot of vegetables and so when we do meat we go big and (laughs) and this is basically we take a whole suckling pig we we cook it slowly we pick it we put it back together and and then we cut into small portions and so you have really tender uh meat with a crispy piece of skin and then i made this bacon marmalade with chilies and ginger and um you know, just bacon and sugar and vinegar. And at that point in time, plums were around. So we added in plums and you had this like sort of sweet, sour, salty, smoky plum bacon marmalade. And that just goes Did you have the crunch of the bacon? You have a little bit of crunch of the bacon. You have the crunch from the skin. You have Mm. the soft flesh. And then you have like little nuggets of bacon. Oh, this is sounding dirty. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> you know what? There's another thing on here, and it's called Still Warm Mozzarella. And so I'm going to get into how you make it still warm, and I think a lot of people can figure it out. But um, my brother took me to a place here in Brooklyn that makes its own mozzarella, and he said to me, it's, it's really special. It's called Oh My God Mozzarella. And I said, it's called Oh My God Mozzarella. And, you know, the guy handed me the mozzarella, and it was warm, and I went, oh, my God. He goes, that's why we call it Oh My God Mozzarella. <laughs> so you're the first menu I've seen Oh My God Mozzarella on. So tell me about the still warm uh, mozzarella. How do, you, how do you serve it up? And So basically, um, you know, we wanted to do some of the mozzarella, and, and one day um, I, I decided to set out and try and make it from, from scratch, and we'd been playing with it on and off, and um, it just worked really well. And basically, we buy the milk from one of the upstate um, farms. Oh, so it's special milk. No, it's just, it's, I mean, you can but do it with basically any milk. it's from a farm. Milk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's I mean, really delicious. It's good milk. Um, and then we, we turn it into the curds ourselves, and then we stretch it and make the mozzarella right from the milk. So within, you know, 30, 40 minutes, you've taken a, a gallon of milk, and you've made mozzarella, and um, we stretch it to order. So it's still warm, and we just do olive oil, salt, pepper, and, and that's really it. Mm. So I, I read, uh, you know, you were talking about olive oil maybe not being local. It's kind of hard in yeah. New York City to have lo- yeah. local olive oil. Um, what kind of, are you an Italian diehard with olive oil? Or have where else can we find olive oil in the world? I, I'll tell you, I mean, I um, I hate to do the, the shameless plug, but I think California Olive Ranch, um, which is a... Um, you know, sustainably driven company um, mm. right out of California. Amazing olive oil. We tasted, when we were opening, we tasted, you know, four or five different kinds of olive oils and, mm-hmm. and two of theirs were our favorite. And really? so one is on the table and one we use for cooking. And I mean, there, there's tons of olive oil. I mean, mm-hmm. One of my friends brings me some from his family in Greece every so often. Mm-hmm. He'll bring me like a Fiji bottle filled with mm-hmm. some olive oil. And it's amazing. But uh, You know, there is terroir for olive yeah. oil. You know, everybody can understand it with wine. But yeah. All of these places, they have different profiles. Okay, so let's get to the future. <laughs> let's get to the future. Um, ten years from now, what do you, you know, what do you want people saying about you? Just that I cooked good food and I was a nice person. <laughs> oh, that's, you know what, he is. <laughs> and when I said big before, I didn't mean like, you know, he's muscular. You could see physical therapy here. You, you were, you know. Uh, so, but do you see, uh, how do you see food evolving? How do you see your menu evolving? Maybe not in 10 years, in two. Let's make it. You know, I, I again, for me, I want to um, continue doing what I'm doing with food, I think, uh, again, you know, we, we make a, a very um, strong effort to shop locally. Um, we, we, we still are going to use other things. You know, uh, we're still going to use a cheese from Italy. We're still going to use an olive oil from California or, you know, um, truffles from, from France or Italy. I mean, it's, you, you can only do so much. The main thing is we want to create good, strong, flavorful food, no matter what cuisine we're doing. So I hope to explore other cuisines within the same st- the st- style of shopping locally. I love being at the farmer's market and buying things. And I think, you know, over the next couple of years, we'll do more of that. I think food in general, um, you know, we'll probably see even more locally based food. Uh, I think it's it's you're seeing a lot more movements of, of people going and starting farms, um, of, of finding new things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I met these two women out in, uh, in Long Island in Amagansett and they've, um, started growing old varieties of wheat that used to be out in Long Island. And, uh, you know, it, it's amazing to see somebody deciding now to go and start growing wheat. And, um, 
That's, you, you, that, that is me. I, one last question before I leave, it, because, you know, as head of the French Culinary Institute, I know a lot of chefs, and we've grown for 30 years a lot of chefs. <laughs> it's one of the toughest jobs in the world. It's, it's like one of those jobs you have to love. And how do you maintain a family? And be a chef and work those kinds of hours. I mean, it's it's a it's a real challenge. Do you have a do you have a, something you can share a secret you can share for us? You know, again, I, I I hope I I don't set out to make friends every day, but I set out to be a good person. Mm-hmm. I set out for you know my staff to to respect me and appreciate what I'm doing. They don't mm-hmm. always have to agree. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I've worked hard to find good people, and I've had a, a great number of um, the kitchen team that have been with me for years. And so I think having that trust and having you know that knowledge that, that people really have your back when you're not there is a big part of it. Um, I think there, there's a little bit of just... You know, remembering that this isn't brain surgery and that this isn't uh, necessarily life or death. I mean, for some people it can be in terms of you could really kill a business, but um, you know, things things will get by uh, without me. And so it, it's taken a while to to figure out sometimes how to just not answer the phone or not deal with something. But again, I have an amazing group of people that I work with and and that you know really help me get through each day. And so that that's a big part of it. And you know, luckily. I, I have a wife and, and two kids that I think kind of understand that this is my career and this is what I've chosen. And, um, you know, especially for my wife, she now sees this as there's been some payoff. You know, I mean, <laughs> well, I'll tell, I'll tell you, um, we've got to sign off now. But Dan Kluger is one hell of a chef. Get yourself over to ABC Kitchen. But he's also one nice guy. Thanks, Thank Dan, you. for being Thanks. here today. Thanks for being part of it. See you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.